If I learned anything from the movies in the 80s, it's that the most famous people in the world are bouncers, Jasper apparently only has one band, and it's okay to rip out someone's throat with your bare hand. No one's putting Swayze in a corner on this one, so sit back and let us prove to you that Roadhouse is not that bad. Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. And it's very fitting today that we have a trifecta of people on the show because not only is it myself and my lovely wife Carrie, but joining us from the Playlist Wars podcast, our good friend Gomez is back. Gomez, welcome to the show. How you doing, man? Uh, so excited to be back. I've been looking forward to jumping with you guys again and uh, the opportunity of bringing up one of my favorite 80s movies before the 90s hit us. Uh, <laughs> I was excited to talk about this. Now, admittedly, when I put this out on Twitter for uh, saying that we were recording this show, uh, you kind of jumped in like it was the Hunger Games volunteering for tribute. What is it about Roadhouse that, that, that made you want to join in on this one? So Roadhouse was an iconic movie for me growing up. First of all, you know, when you watch Dirty Dancing, you see him dancing the night away. And then you see another version of Patrick Swayze. The uh, kick-ass version is the best way I could say it. And that's the version I love more than his dancing. (laughs) So for (laughs) me, it's seeing that. And as I got older, I became a bouncer myself. And I used his techniques and his methods, what he says in this movie. Wait, you ripped but, someone's throat out with your hand? No, no, no. no I, didn't, I wish I could. No, but um, I was talking more like bouncing wise, you know. Uh, you know Rule number I, three. I was technically. Be nice. <laughs> my One of the things I always said, I wasn't, because when I was a bouncer, I was the cooler and the bouncer. So I had to take my own advice a couple of times and with couple of drinks to go with it. <laughs> now, Carrie, for you, it's also a really important movie for you. Why were you so happy? Well, sad to find out the road has qualified, but happy that we're actually covering it. Um, I think for me, it was, again, a movie from my childhood. Um, big, big Jeff Healy band fan growing up. So for me, it was more the music um, with, you know, again, Patrick Swayze. Uh, is just so cool in his role. So, um, yeah, I, I was really surprised that we're we're talking about this movie that it qualifies because of the time. It was, I mean, it was a great movie. Like, I I I don't know why the critics couldn't see that. Well, we so are I'm here to defend. We are about to prove the critics wrong. But before we get into talking about Roadhouse more in depth, it is time to take this Patrick Swayze classic and trailerize it. The only thing cooler than cool is a cool cooler sent in to cool the temperature of a bar in need of a change. Enter Dalton, a man with one name and one way of doing things. But that doesn't work in a town run by one man so proud of himself for luring a J.C. Penney's to Jasper that he'll trash, burn down, blow up, and drive through every other business in town to prove that you don't mess with J.C. Penney's. Watch a movie with a horny doctor 
horny bar patrons, horny bouncers, and more animal horns than you can shake a spear at. Patrick Swayze stars in Roadhouse. Rated R. <laughs> <laughs> That was great. I loved it. Oh man, there's there is so much to dissect out of all of that. But let's let's get into the meat and potatoes of this movie. It stars Patrick Swayze, Kelly Lynch, Sam Elliott, Ben Gazzara, and I hope I pronounced his name right. Uh, the aforementioned Jeff Healy band. Uh, it was the debut of one Julie Michaels. And there were a bunch of other actors in there, including uh, wrestler Terry Funk, which I found really interesting. However, there was an almost starred in this one because it was almost not Kelly Lynch as the doctor in this. Annette Benning was apparently up for the role of the doctor and then got replaced by Kelly Lynch. Now, I'm, I'm going to put this out to you guys. And I'm going to start with you, Carrie. Annette Benning in the Kelly Lynch doctor role. Can you see it? No, no. That I find... That's, uh, no. <laughs> the, the, the I look, find that appalling. <laughs> just no. <laughs> like, 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 I'm looking at the the look on Carrie's face here, and it's just like one of those, like, it, it's almost like someone took our kid's socks off their feet after they come home from school and ran it under their nose. And like, this is like, no, 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 mm, no, no, not, no, not Annette Bening. No, back to the American president. No, but no. I, I just, I couldn't. See it, but I mean, again, that's acting, right? I just think that would really be stretching her acting. It, it just feels a, a, bit, a bit out there for 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 at least the roles that she was taking on a time. It would be very out of character. Mm-hmm. I think. Gomez, what do you think? Annette Benning in the role as the doc? Uh, no way. <laughs> I and I can't see her doing the sex scene. No. No, especially not, you know, pushed up against a brick solid wall that I'm sure hurt like hell. Yeah, I don't think Sheriff Back could handle that one. Yeah, no. No, Um, no, and no. (laughs) Um, This movie was directed by Rowdy Harrington. Uh, And if the name sounds a little bit familiar, he is the director of Striking Distance, which starred uh, Bruce Willis and Sarah Jessica Parker. And A Murder of Crows. So, a fairly decent director with a... with. um, you know, with a decent filmography behind him. Um, the music, if it sounded familiar, there's a reason for that. And I'm not just talking about the Jeff Healy band. Uh, the composer was Michael Kamen. And I say if it sounds familiar, there's a reason why. Because apparently, he actually recycled some of the music that he did for Lethal Weapon for this film. And I'll admit, as I was listening to it, I could hear some of those little guitar tone or note kind of score pieces. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Is, is this a is this a Patrick Swayze film or a Mel Gibson film? Okay, I thought for sure you were going to say a Looney Tunes film because did, <laughs> did I not make that comment in watching some of the fight scenes? And I'm like, the score sounds like it, it would be like an Elmer Fudd fight scene. I, I, the only thing just, you didn't hear were the horns, you know what I mean? <laughs> really, that was the only difference. It you seemed out of place. Like the horns. Yeah, it did. Do you want to go to the double douche? No. <laughs> Be very, very quiet. Now, we're unfortunately. Hunting, we're hunting women. <laughs> oh, I think that was the sound, like, literally, the voice in everyone's head who went to the double douche. I'm here for a whiskey, and I'm here to battle the women. No. 
Oh, God. <laughs> now, this film did get some quote-unquote accolades. And listeners, you can kind of mentally put the, the finger quotes in there. Because at the 10th annual Razzie Awards, uh, this was nominated for five of them. Didn't win any of them, though. So should have maybe maybe, but when you realize what won, um, it's up there. It was nominated for worst picture. That winner went to Star Trek Five: The Final Frontier. <laughs> oh my God! The re- that one. The reaction alone is like yes, yes. That was the Star Trek where they flew to the end of the universe to find God. It was nominated. Patrick Swayze was nominated for worst actor. That went to William Shatner. Rowdy Harrington was nominated for Worst Director. That went to William Shatner. So that just tells you alone how bad Star Trek V was. Um, Ben Gazzara uh, was uh, nominated for Worst Supporting Actor. That went to Christopher Atkins in Listen to Me. And it was nominated for Worst Screenplay. That one went to Harlem Nights. Not Star Trek V, surprisingly. Which, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. Star Trek V, and I don't think this is even close. Like, the first Star Trek movie, the motion picture, boring, but not bad, but boring. Star Trek V, just stick your head in the sand like an ostrich and wait for the credits at the end. That's how bad this is. That's bad. It is. It is. Do you Like, did you guys see Star Trek V at all? Um, can I just tell you, I'm not a Trekkie, so no. Uh, you're saving yourself. And Carrie? Mm. No. 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 <laughs> she, she, did, she doesn't even want to reply on that one. <laughs> yes or no. <laughs> I mean, it, it definitely follows the rule of all odd number Star Trek films are the worst ones, and all even numbered Star Trek films are the good ones. You know, Star Trek 1, boring. Right, it's about forty-five minutes of spaceship porn. Uh, Star Trek Two: Wrath of Khan, amazing. Star Trek Three: Search for Spock, meh, meh. Star Trek Four, uh, where they where they come back to, to rescue the humpback whales. I mean, that's just a gem. Star Trek Five is uh, the final straw that broke the back of my patience. Star Trek Six is is amazing. Star Trek Generation, so seven horrible star trek eight first contact amazing so you see the pattern luckily roadhouse was not a star trek film <laughs> thank <laughs> How, god for that right however uh in kind of a you know a, a, a almost a redemption of this film the official razzie movie guide lists this movie in the 100 most enjoyable bad movies ever made and you know what i mean clearly they get it and it's just one of those things where it's almost like this film kind of found its legs after the theatrical run. Now, Gubbins, you said you probably didn't see this in the theater. How many times did you rent this film from a blockbuster? <laughs> At least once a month. Um, for quite some time, because me and my dad actually loved that movie a lot. So that's another reason why, we, you know, it was one of my favorite movies. Because this is one movie that, besides the Lethal Weapons, you know what I mean? This is one movie my, me and my dad could, like, really recite the lines and kind of laugh a lot. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's just one of those. I think it's a great movie. I, I, you know, I, the critics wouldn't know their elbow from their head if they could tell them apart. You know, I want a job as a critic. I bet I bet I get paid good money to actually tell people what m- movies are about. 
Well, just threaten them with ripping their, you know, their throat out with your fingers, and then you can become a critic. But, well, that, but I can't because I'm Gomez from Playlist Wars. Well, <laughs> I'm the nice guy. <laughs> well, well, clearly the critics are not following rule three, which is be nice. But Carrie, nice. One, one of the things, I, and I, Gomez kind of touched upon this, and you touched upon this earlier, is that both of you were kind of introduced to this film by your parents. So, I mean, on the face of it, Roadhouse is not exactly a family-friendly movie. <laughs> but, I was thinking uh, that. But, but Karen, I'm going to ask this to you. Uh, what is it? What was it about this film that kind of you know was a bonding moment for you and your dad? You know, in re-watching it, I'm actually, like, questioning um, <laughs> how, how, it, how it was that, uh, that it was a movie that I grew up watching. Um, only in that... I found that some of the the scenes would never fly in a movie today. No. Like, I, I mean, obviously, you know, the bar shenanigans are, are going to be what it is. But um, as far as like the nudity, like that would never be to that extent. Like, it would it would have been there would have been a cutaway or something not as mainstream as it was then yeah and it kind of makes me think wow how how you know the face of of movies has changed oh absolutely over the years. Like, yeah i think to watch it now is kind of like huh you know like you really do see the difference in 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 the style and yeah I mean, it, admittedly, it is. What happened to us all? <laughs> they get older. There, there is at least you know skin equity because you know Patrick Swayze's butt butt is completely front and center in this film. So, oh god, yeah. <laughs> like, can we get a better butt shot next time? You know, it's like RoboCop when he was walking. <laughs> oh, oh, now I'm just <laughs> now I'm just trying to picture RoboCop dialogue in Roadhouse. Like, like, literally, you can see him walking up to, the, to like, a fight and go, dead or alive, you're coming with, or, no. <laughs> or the worst movie ever, uh, Lethal Weapon, not Lethal Weapon, uh, Loaded Weapon, when Emilio Aceves is doing the big moon butt shot, and he does that walk like RoboCop. <laughs> oh, man. However, and I will say this, in all fairness, Patrick Swayze's butt probably did help the box office because this film had a $17 million budget and it walked away with a $39 million worldwide gross. When it debuted in the theaters on the May 19th, 1989 weekend, it debuted at number two and it was the only debut in the top 10. It did not unseat the number one movie at the time, but it was close. It was like literally about $200,000 difference gross difference. Roadhouse grossed $5.957 million, number two, that week. Number one in its second week, and you're going to shake your head when you hear this, is the Richard Pryor, Gene Wilder comedy, See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Really? That held on to number one by $200,000 at the box office over freaking Roadhouse. I'm going to say this again. Roadhouse could not unseat See No Evil, Hero No Evil as number one. Um, what was wrong? I mean, it was close, too, because, like, even in number three, even in number three, and still pretty much right behind at, like, 
just over five million was the fifth week of Field of Dreams. So I mean, it's a decent like if you take a look at that top ten, K9s in there, Pet Cemetery, Major League, Rain Man, Say Anything, The Dream Team. Like there are good movies in that Dream top team. ten. <laughs> Dream Team was fun. It was that so was much fun. That was a good. That's another good movie. But I guess the question is, like, why didn't this bring people into the theaters? Karen, I'm going to toss this to you. Why didn't this film, you know, bring in the people? Hmm. I I really don't have an answer for that. Um. I I could only speculate. Maybe it was lack of promotion, or like, really, um, the fight scenes were consistent, or what? What was? basically what this movie was based on. So, mm-hmm. I mean, how do you promote a movie that's basically fight scene to fight scene to fight scene? Well, um, it is funny that you bring that up because uh, the marketing campaign for this film, rather than kind of promote the movie as to what it is, they pretty much promoted this as a, you know, next logical Patrick Swayze step after Dirty Dancing, right? Like all the marketing was based on, you know, the fact that Patrick Swayze was this heartthrob in Dirty Dancing. And then next thing you know, you've got him banging Kelly Lynch up against a brick wall. Um, like that's, it, it's it, it's very much a tonal, di- a very tonal difference. But that was just a very small part of this movie. I uh, mean. And his butt and the people making out and having sex in the uh, bar and, and. <laughs> And, and Julia Michaels dancing naked. Yes, yes. We, we're going to be talking about um, the, the, the female parts in this film a little bit later. But <laughs> the critics probably did this no favors either because on Rotten Tomatoes, this sits at a 37% tomatometer. Over at Metacritic, has a 36% uh, meta score. The audience score is 66%. And I do... I do wonder if some of that, of course, is people just kind of missing Patrick Swayze, and I wonder how much that has swayed over the years. Um, but 37% versus 66%. Gomez, to you, which one is closer to what this actually should be? I'm going to go with the audience score. Carrie? Agreed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because the audience know what a good movie is, not the critics. <laughs> Again, critics, rule number three. Be nice. Be nice. <laughs> Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So 
What are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Let's get to the breakdown here. We've got to start at the top of the building. Or building, billing, <laughs> Patrick Swayze. Uh, Gomez, we're going to head this one over to you. How was Patrick Swayze, you know, to you? On this movie, he's, I don't know, I, I see him as the uh, the ending of the 80s era, like the Don Johnson era, you know what I mean? He had the long hair, he had the jacket, you know, he had the clothes almost, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But he also had the karate skills or whatever, you know what I mean? But he was Mr. Cool, though. That's why he was the cooler. Mm-hmm. So for me, Patrick Swayze was like a god at this movie. I was more of a, like I said, Roadhouse fan than I was Dirty Dancing. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I just loved his demeanor in the movie. You know, he could either be nice, he could easily talk to you, or, you know, or he'll escort, he'll escort you out the door the, the hard way. Mm-hmm. At least he gave you options. <laughs> Carrie, over to you. I absolutely agree. I think he was so cool and he played it so well and I couldn't picture any other actor carrying that level of um, almost like he would walk into a room and command respect without Mm -hmm. even saying a word and I thought that was so cool and and I think again it was it was just that coolness factor that no other actor that I could think of the time could pull it off. Mm-hmm. It, it is interesting because when you think about the time, and Gomez, you started to kind of touch upon this with uh, with Don Johnson, but if you think about the action stars of that time, that late 80s, early 90s time, like your Bruce Willis's, your Kurt Russell's, mm-hmm. your Sylvester Stallone's, your Schwarzenegger's, you know, Steven Seagal, Mel Gibson. I mean, physically, any of those guys could do this movie i mean there's no question about that um but i think if they did it would either come across as a you know pardon the stallone pun but an over-the-top kind of action piece um or or a just a just a quip fest but patrick swayze and i think carrie you're right he brought the cool to this he brought the almost a suaveness a sophistication to a role that could easily be considered more of a hard ass, but he brought almost an eloquence to a rough role. Before I, before I I went through with this, I actually looked up to see where he was born and hailed from. So Houston, Texas. So 
he had that uh, he Smarter. had that like cool like that mm. i i think it made it more legit like when sam elliot um when his character uh was introduced and kind of like he he it was it was almost kind of that like Western Southern cool. Yeah, he was a bit more rough around the edges. Almost, almost kind of like I don't want to say like a cowboy movie, but it made it kind of that. It, it was very much a lone wolf kind of role. Lone and wolf, exactly. Yeah. And goes maybe you, you can expand on this. Like the, the the concept of the cooler is the lone wolf person trying to bring law and order to this very small microcosm of the town of Jasper. Yeah. So I mean, <clears throat> Carrie saying it correctly. You know, I mean, he's got this. Southerness, like the Southern Texas uh, look, you know what I mean? Like, you see me, look at me and respect who I am. Um, you know, he, he always has his arms crossed or his arms are to the side. And then, like you said, when uh, Sam Elliott's uh, character comes in, Wade Garrett, you know, he's like, yo, like, what's up, dude? Like, like nothing happened, you know what I mean? It's just one of those things. It's, he just has that, that persona or that swagger is the best word I could put it mm-hmm. for him at that time. And here's the thing about this movie too. And I know we'll talk about the action and everything, but there was no bombs going off in the air or guns flying everywhere. Like you'll get out of a die hard or a lethal weapon or a commando or a Miami vice. You know what I mean? <laughs> so this movie pays good tribute to the action, to the actual action of the movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that's that's another thing that this movie was a kick-ass film like that. It didn't need all the guns. It was very much a, you know, mono e mono type film when it came to those fight scenes, even in the uh, even in the bar fights. Um, I'm going to bring up a, a comparison too, because I am curious, like, and not that I've done any research on this as well, but Gomez, I don't know if you've seen uh, the recent Netflix Cowboy Bebop series. No, I have not. But there's there's almost a parallel to the cool swagger of Spike Spiegel uh, in comparison to Patrick Swayze. Is that they, they come into the room, you know, very nonchalant, very non-aggressive, very non-threatening, and they only become, you know, like, you know, deadly when the situation calls for it. And I wonder... You know, maybe it's a hindsight kind of thing, but I wonder if there was any of the, of the influence of Dalton's character that went into a character like uh, Spike Spiegel from Cowboy Bebop. And this is also just my plea for Netflix to finally do a season to Cowboy Bebop. Don't cancel it. Don't do it. Do you know what I absolutely loved was the scene, and I'm I'm not sure if it had to have been intentional, but um, where Patrick Swayze's almost kind of just I'm not sure if he was meditation in motion or if it was meant to be Tai Chi but it was very martial arts styled in his fighting and his um even that scene where he's just kind of practicing uh in the sunshine mm-hmm. and of course you know they had like the the sweat glistening with the lighting just perfect I mean that's clearly for the eye candy part of the scene but um, it was very, um, almost like beautiful. His fight style mm-hmm. was very, um, I mean, he's very well trained. Oh yeah, and very oh, yeah. athletic. So, 
even during even the uh, like the the guitar playing in the background for that scene too is just it fits like I'm sorry the lethal weapon music <laughs> <laughs> without the horns you know what I mean you just hear it and it just flowed perfectly when he's working out with that whole what you know when I was doing karate a long time ago I was kata so that's what the movement is you know what I mean but again he might have been and I don't know what martial arts he trained in, but, you know, it's a different thing, but it's, it's almost the same. Mm-hmm. It's just the discipline of that specific martial arts mm-hmm. that he's inter- like almost like um, it's like his inner chi. It's just releasing the bad out and making him better for later. It, it is interesting, too, because, you know, you did mention, Kara, that it's more Tai Chi-esque kind of thing when he's doing that whole workout scene. And, you know, you can see like, you know, that moment where he's you know hitting the punching bag and doing the uh you know doing the, the the fighting doll i guess it's in the barn when you know when things are starting to go down and you can see him start to lose that composure and the fluidity of movement from the tai chi scene to when he's he's basically just trying to get out his frustrations because things are kind of going downhill it's it it's funny his workout scenes are more character uh, building and character developing than i think they probably initially gave it credit for or even intentionally again i think it was poignant that um they did show that scene because even um even his method of diffusing uh, a bar brawl Mm. um was very you know remain calm again remove um remove the fight to the outside of the bar um but to maintain that calm cool composure until you know until it's time to defend right mm-hmm. um i mean I, I i kind of noticed on the other side of it the uh the attackers were always kind of bumbling it was almost like the fight scenes you know it was like don't bore us get to the chorus they would <laughs> they would go right into it there were like in reality there would be you know a bit of a lead up people would push each other back and forth, but no, not with this movie. They weren't messing around. They would literally like, I don't know, like go right into it, right into the action, <laughs> throw a punch, and then ask questions later. Like, isn't that every bar brawl? But I don't think <laughs> yeah, so. Much. <laughs> Trust me, I've been in a couple, <laughs> and I have seen a few from the stage. So it's always kind of fascinating. Um, but, but there's always a backstory. There is always, always a backstory. There, 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 there always is a backstory. Yeah. Trust me, I've been in a lot of those too. <laughs> dude, dude, scuff my pumas. Let's trash the bar. Um, but the nice thing too about Patrick Swayze is that he is almost a direct opposite of Sam Elliott. Wade Garrett in this because Garrett is very much, you know, that, that old timer who's been around too long kind of thing, you know, gruff, grizzly, he's seen it all. And, you know, whereas Patrick Swayze is more centered, more business-like, more professional, uh, Garrett's almost, Garrett's almost like the dark side of Swayze's character. And Gomez, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, is Sam Elliott the perfect guy for this role? Oh God. Yes, he is. He is the perfect one, man. I wouldn't expect anybody different. I mean, the only one else who could probably pull it off would have been Mel Gibson just because of the hair. Mm. Um, but it's the way Sam Elliott is. He has these one-liners. Ooh, that has to hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, when he kicks somebody. Um, you know, what's up, amigo? You know what I mean? He's got these great lines. And 
only him could pull, only Sam Elliott could pull that off as Wade Garrett. You know what I mean? It, it, he was the perfect pick for this movie. And that's me talking as a fan. Mm-hmm. I couldn't see anybody else, maybe Mel Gibson, but there's something about Mel Gibson's voice to Sam Elliott's voice, and Sam Elliott wins that over Mel Gibson in a heartbeat. Absolutely agreed. I, it's, again, that that Southern charm. Like, when he showed up, he was the first scene. He's dancing with Swayze's girl, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> you can just tell that that was his character. He would literally just show up and command the room. And um, and I think that worked very well for for the role. And you're right. He, he would be the punch first, ask questions later. Whereas Swayze is more of that calm demeanor. Mm-hmm. I think you had to have someone with more of a, a cowboy attitude. Because if you think about, you know, the bar scene that they came up through. And you can see that in a little bit of the dialogue between uh, Dalton and Garrett in that... You know, they've seen the Wild West side of the of being a cooler and being a bouncer. They've seen the rough and ruggedness of this. And, you know, uh, yes, admittedly, I had to mentally stop thinking of his role in A Star is Born um, just because it's like the same damn character, except, you know, one's a roadie and one's a cooler. But it's just one of those things where, like, you needed that sandpaper. You absolutely needed his sandpaper to show just how far Swayze has come, you know, emotionally, mentally, and and professionally. You know, Garrett is almost what Dalton could have been, but he decided to, you know, go the clean way and try to center his life after, like, I mean, obviously there's a there's a plot point in there where something bad happened. I think it was in Memphis, and that's one of those things where it's like, you know, Garrett is what it could have been if he didn't walk away from that. I agree with you on that one. I guess, you know, he got into a, a fight, I guess. And, you know. There was a girl was a- and a gun and things didn't go right or wrong. And, you know, people's throats got ripped out. It, it, it happens. You know, rough night in Memphis. You know, it's a Tuesday. <laughs> it, it, it would be like a, a, it'd be a Friday night in New Jersey, too. You know what I mean? <laughs> but. You know, it was just, it's funny how that all happens, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that they never really, you know, went down Exposition Road. They didn't have to, you know, spoon feed it and hamper it all on us that, you know, oh, no, no, bad things happen, all that. Like, no, something bad happened. He's trying to put it behind him. It's there. It's absolutely there, and it needed to be referenced. Um, one of the interesting things uh, I was reading about this movie is that the in- initial cut of this film was over three hours long. So they cut out quite a bit. And I wonder if some of that you know, being cut out was just the ham-handedness of the backstory and just made it a leaner cut. But it, whatever it is, it definitely, I think, streamlined the story in a, in a good way. Oh, what, without a doubt. Yeah. One thing, though, is that with every action film, there has to be a villain. Mr. Brad Wesley... Ben Gazzara. I was I was curious about this. And Carrie, I want I want to hear your thoughts on this first here. Ben Gazzara, Brad Wesley, you know, the the Jasper mafioso, if you will. What were your thoughts on him as the villain in this? I don't want to say too much because I really want to go right to the end scene. Mm. But oh, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll I know. Get there. We'll get there. Okay. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna 
you know, take a pass. <laughs> <laughs> Gomez, how was our Brad Wesley for you? So Brad Wesley, he, you know, he he plays off as like he's like the mayor of town. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite scenes is when he's having breakfast and he's talking to Dalton. I brought JC Penny here for Christ's sakes. <laughs> That's just like big one liner. You know what I mean? Very interesting, by the way, when you're a Canadian watching this, and you're like, what the hell's JC Penny? <laughs> it's true. It's like saying to us, what's Lord and Taylor's over here in New Jersey now. Right. Um, so I, I feel like in this town of Jasper, there was no mayor. Too. If you if, if everyone remembers the movie correctly, mm-hmm. there was never a mayor in this movie either. I felt like Brad Wesley was the mayor of Jasper. Like he, like you said, mafiosely killed off the mayor and he became it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he played this part very well. He played it cool and calm. He he never like yelled until like he started until Dawn started messing with him a little bit. You know what I mean? In, mm-hmm. Towards the middle of the movie. So he was calm, cool, and collective until Dalton started reveling his feathers when he went after the doc. It's interesting, though, because, and and I never really kind of put this together until you were talking about the fact that there's no mayor in this, is that arguably Jasper is a small town in this. They never really say which state it is, but uh, it's it's a small town. You know, you've got a lot, you know, everyone knows everyone, everyone's in everyone's business kind of thing. And I'm sure everyone has gone to the bar and fought with everybody else at some point in time, because that just seems to be the way Jasper is. Um, But it's one of those things where he's so over the top in like the, you know, for lack of a better term, the orgy of evidence that he's just a bad human being when you take a look at his house and uh, the fact that he's eating his meal by himself while his girl's got a black eye over in the corner and the, you know, the the shrine to taxidermy in his house. Like there's, there's just an orgy of evidence that this guy is up to no good. But it's one of those things where you have to sit there and say, if, if, if JC Penney's is the hack, you know, the, the, the hook that you're hanging your hat on in this, you ain't nothing. And if you were out of, out of this town, like if you were in like a an actual metropolis of a city, you you would have nothing. And it's just, it's almost, it's almost very bully esque in that the bully picks on the weaker because it makes them feel stronger. But the minute the bully runs into someone that he can't pick on, that's when he starts to crumble. And I think you kind of picked on it. Uh, you pointed it out there, Gomez, in that. You know, he's fine until Dalton comes along and, you know, Dalton basically upends the power balance that he's created in Jasper. And that just Mm -hmm. straight up messes with him. Yeah. I mean, kind of remember the part, you know, where I know we haven't gotten into the movie yet, but remember, he's not from the South, though, really. No, he's from North. He's from New York City. Technically, his license plate on his Mercedes was New York City, I believe. Mm hmm. I didn't even pick so, up on that. Well, this is where I kind of, <laughs> this is how much I've seen this movie too many times. You I think. have analyzed this to its core, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, I picked on some little things here and there. He, So he's really from, you know, he bounced probably up in the city. So picture you, you're going from the city to the south. Two different things, two different genres, two different Way different people. Mm-hmm. You got the people who talk like Southern accent like this, and then you got guys like me who who are from the city. Yo, what's up? 
So, you know, something like that is a different scene. So from where he went from the city to Memphis to wherever Jasper is, let's just say Alabama, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it does sound like a town from Alabama. He made the reputation of he is one of the best coolers in the world with next to Wade Garrett. And he says that when Tillman's looking for him. I want the best. He goes, well, Wade Garrett's the best. And he goes, yeah, but Wade Garrett's old. Mm -hmm. You know, Wade Garrett might be old, but he could still kick somebody's ass. (laughs) It is interesting, too, that if, if Brad Wesley is from New York... I'd be curious what that character's backstory is. Like, was you know, was he like a failed entrepreneur in in New York, and then he decided to go to Jasper to kind of, you know, be the big well, fish? Actually, let's talk about bond. Patrick Swayze's character. Oh yes, yes, yes. He was from New York. Now, Brad Wesley sounds like he's from the North too. Mm-hmm. Like, like so, you know, you kind of think you got to think about that. He doesn't have that Southern accent. So I, I do wonder if, if it's one of those things where Brad Wesley tried to make it in New York, couldn't make it in New York, so he moved to Jasper, big fish, small pond kind of thing. It just it's it's curious and I would love to kind of know that backstory. We do need to discuss something here. One of the biggest criticisms of this film is that the women are poorly written. You know, I, I keep thinking back to uh, this is a show staged with uh, with David Tennant and Michael Sheen, and one of the characters in that Simon. Everyone just listed like, "You can't write women. You cannot write women." They could not write women in this film. Um, you know, like it's almost like you take a look at the Doctor Kelly Lynch's character and has like a two word you know character description: "sexy doctor." Um, <laughs> is is that too harsh for the characterization of Kelly Lynch? Like, was was she better than that in this? No, <laughs> they, they. I think they gave her the right title. I mean, they, she didn't even have a first name. I don't even remember she had a first name. They called I, her Doc. I think she's just listed as Doc. So it's like yeah, one of those things where you're you are literally you are your job title. You, you're, you're in essence a Smurf at that point. You, you are stitch em up Smurf. You know, that, that is pretty much your, your one sole purpose. But Carrie, yeah, pretty much. Carrie, we're going to ask the, the lady in the room here. Uh, in watching Doc, like, did it feel like you could have put anyone in that role because there, there was no meat to the character? You know what? I think she was genuinely good. I mean, the, the, the scene at the end where, you know, Swayze just had that altercation and she finds the body in the water. It was like the fact that she turned away from him. Mm-hmm. I think that was pivotal because at that point she realized that the man that she loved, you know, was capable of of murder. And I mean, whether it was right or wrong, whether it was, and it was self-defense at that point, like it was him or you know, him or me kind of thing. Um, I, I don't know. I kind of, I think like I would have liked to have seen a little bit more about their relationship before it went, you know, I don't know, straight to like, <laughs> I don't know. Straight to the director's cut or the, or the deleted scenes yeah, of it, the it DVD. Was almost, <laughs> it was almost like the three hours of the movie might have, you know, they might have cut out a few details along mm. the way, 
um, just because of the way their the relationship escalated so quickly and then ended so badly. So, uh, it's almost I, like that that scene from Anchorman's like, well, that escalated quickly. Yeah, she did well. She did she did well with um, I think with what she was given to work with, and I, I would have liked to have seen a bit more because um, I really do think that she was more than just a sexy doctor. Mm-hmm. There there was more heart and more potential there for her and i think maybe the script uh wasn't wasn't allowing her to shine i th- i think that's the key right there is that there was potential for her because if you think about it when it comes to dalton and any main character like central figure of any movie there has to be someone that plays that character's conscience and i'm just curious if if dalton's conscience is supposed to be uh, Doc, or if it's supposed to be Garrett, uh, Gomez to you, if anyone has to be the consciences that in this, who is Dalton, who is Dalton's conscience and did they actually achieve that role? I think it had to go to Garrett more um, than Doc because in the beginning, you know, he, he calls him out where he's in a, a hog heaven with a strip club and he's asking for information on Brad Wesley. And I feel like, you know, he's like, oh, what kind of trouble are you in? It's like, oh, nothing I can't handle. But it just shows that where he where he went to first, you know what I mean? So I think for me, it would be Sam Elliott's character, Wade Garrett. Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned, too, a little bit earlier on uh, with Julie Michaels, who uh, plays the... Uh, uh, can't can we just describe her as the blonde that's always with Brad Wesley and whatnot, and the one that's you know constantly well, let's be let's be blunt. I f- Patrick Swayze in the bar when he first arrives, and I and I feel bad for her because you know this this is her cinematic debut. This was the first movie she was in. You know she would go on to appear in other you know stellar sequels like Batman and Robin, the Scorpion King and Jason goes to hell the final Friday. So there, there's, you know, the, the roles didn't exactly come for her. She is you know still working and doing some, some TV appearances here and whatnot, but it it's just one of those things where it feels like one of those, again, poorly written, put the hot chick in because you know she's going to get naked on 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 screen kind of roles that was very indicative of like the 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 mid to late 80s carrie if you is there am i missing something about her or is there more to her no and i think i i feel badly for you know her as an actress because the role really did not allow for any potential at all Mm -hmm. like or acting potential or you know she certainly didn't have any lines that I can think of maybe like one or two oh oh no she she had lines but (laughs) like but there was nothing there was nothing substantial that you know was was pivotal to the storyline it was you know she was just I I hate to say it um very objectified very you Mm -hmm. know like hired for her look um and and again too what i had mentioned earlier about this movie is that you know some of the scenes um i mean with the table dancing with the um it it was almost like that i I, there's no other way of putting it but that prostitution scene where it was like twenty (laughs) dollars to you know 
<laughs> she can be yours and only yours for ten dollars in the champagne room. Um, yeah. <laughs> now I know why you got the porno music on. Had to get the porno reference. Like, <laughs> got her. I, I'm just like I was again. My jaw kind of hit the floor when I saw that because I'm like, damn, did they? Yeah, that was that was they that was in the '80s movie. Yeah, and uh, you know, and and I guess that would never fly in movies today. Mm-hmm. And and it's interesting too. And Gomez are going to toss this one to you here because you know, marketing this movie, and you, and you yourself said like you know you were you became a bouncer kind of after the fact and whatnot. And it's just like going to this movie. You know, you have to think the the initial audiences in the theater kind of fell into two categories. The ones who knew that this was just a straight up action film with a lot of good fight scenes. So dudes are going to go see it. And by the way, there's some TNA in there. And then you get the others who basically went because Patrick Swayze was in Dirty Dancing. Their hearts are a flutter. And then all of a sudden they're watching him kick ass, show his ass and watching other people's asses on the screen. Um for you, Gomez, when you saw this, was it exactly what you expected, or did you go in with a, with a different opinion on this, and then all of a sudden go, oh, so this is what I'm watching? Um, when I first watched it, it was kind of what I expected. As I got older and understand the movie a little bit better, you know what I mean? It was one of those like, ooh, really? That that just happened? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like some scenes, like the Denise scene of. Uh, when uh, Brad Wesley goes, Elvis, play something. You know what I mean? And then uh, you got the band playing this uh, uh, song and, you know, she's dancing. You're like, wow, that, like Harry said, doesn't fly yeah. in the movies today. You know what I mean? So, you know, now the respective of Roadhouse, it, it, like I said, it kind of fits that 80s, end of the 80s genre before the 90s hit kind of movie. You know what I mean? So it's one of those things that, it just happens, I guess. So now, like, as we're older, if no one has seen it, you're like, you're going, oh, Patrick Swayze, Dirty Dancing. Mm. And then guys like me were like, well, Patrick Swayze, kick-ass martial arts guy. Right, right. What wait, wait, whatever happened to, to, what was it, Red Dawn? No, not, not Red Dawn. What was, the, what was the one he was in? Because Red Dawn was like the no that that was raw deal. I'm getting I'm getting my Schwarzenegger and and Patrick Swayze movies confused, and which is got to be hard because you have to think that those are two very different actors. But Carrie, you also kind of touched on this earlier in the show in that you know this movie probably could not get made today given the objective the objectification of the female characters in this, and that is sad. Like mm-hmm. because I think. This movie had to be made of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, again, even if they attempted to do something of the like today, it would it would have been very different. The fight scenes would have been very different. Um, what I what I really liked about this movie is the constant action. I mean, there's really not much lull so again there's not much room for story building or backstory or characterization however um it kept it kept me interested it kept me awake Mm -hmm. right uh for someone who has (laughs) self-admitted movie narcolepsy um i think at the at the end as things started blowing up you know the town started blowing up and and everything that was close to uh swayze was 
you know, <laughs> being <laughs> obliterated. That's usually when you fall asleep, though, is when the action starts going. <laughs> Full disclosure, Carrie is the one who fell asleep during X-Men in the theaters during the massive fight scene at the end, movie Narcolepsy 101. Um, but there is one female character in this that didn't feel objectified, that didn't... Um, get the raw deal in the characterization and who apparently was the most victimized by the cut down from the initial three hour cut. And that is Kathleen Wilhoyt who played Carrie Ann, uh, one of the bartenders, the one who's always like, don't you know who that is? That's Dalton, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to put it out there. Gomez to you. Does this film last 30 minutes only if he decides to just hook up with Carrie Ann? Oh god, the movie would have ended as soon as he kissed her. <laughs> it's it's like, okay, everything's happy now. Not gonna piss off Brad Wesley. I'm gonna go with the with with the with the nice girl. Oh god, no way. He, he he drinks coffee, remember. He doesn't drink whiskey. You would need a lot of whiskey to kiss her. But the funny thing is Oh, I loved her. I was about to say there was <laughs> there was something about her and she was so cute. When when you think she, about uh, Tillman, uh, the, the the owner of the Double Deuce, uh, yes. and when he's describing the way he wants to to, to kind of have the bar go, he wants he wants it to be a place where yeah, people still go have a good time, listen to music, drink some beers, all that kind of stuff, but he wants it to be a place where you know you you don't feel like you have to dress up with Kevlar underneath, like that's the kind of thing. Carrie Ann kind of feels like the 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 clientele that he wants to have. And that's kind of, you know, the, the front face he puts out there. If you have a friendly, nice, pleasant waitress, that's going to affect how the clientele respond to her in the best way. So Carrie, let me ask you about Carrie. Um, what were your thoughts on her? Spelled differently, by the way. Spelled but, differently. Yes. Um, you know what? Again, I, I loved her. I thought she, was in fact i'm actually surprised not surprised but I, I in my heart i was hoping that you know they would have hooked up because i liked her character so much um and and the fact that she was a singer too mm-hmm. and um and is a composer in real life so that was really a cool i think that was a an amazing opportunity for her mm-hmm. to be able to um display her talents uh, as more more than an actress in this role um it was kind of like a double i don't know double star kind of thing yeah it's, it's um, it is one of those things where if her role was cut down dramatically by by the you know by the cut down from the initial three plus hour cut how pivotal was her role because there's there's this one scene um where the you know where they're driving bigfoot through the uh, through the car dealership, <laughs> yes. which I can't believe I just said they're driving Bigfoot through the car dealership. Uh, apparently, that like one day cost them like fifty thousand dollars, <laughs> just in in all of that. Um, but there's by one, renting Bigfoot, <laughs> exactly. But while the 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 bar staff from the Double Deuce is watching this happen, uh, there's there's the big bouncer 
like you know the 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 the, the nice big bouncer that's there, kind of standing behind her with his with his hands on her shoulders, kind of thing, and almost kind of like protecting her. There's something about her and the rest of the team from the Double Deuce that makes them feel more like a family, and I kind of wish that they had you know could have developed that because maybe uh, Gomez, maybe you can interject on this one here and that. You know, when you have a team at a bar that works like that and there's, you know, they see a lot of crap, but they kind of have to have each other's backs kind of thing. Do you get that kind of, you know, pseudo family feel about the team that you're working with? Yeah, you do. I mean, no matter if you're working as a bar or, you know, as a bouncer or working at a restaurant together or even in a, you know, in a legit football team or hockey team, you know, you or even where I work right now, it has that family sense. You know, um, it's like the one girl is like the sister I never had or never would, should have. (laughs) I mean, uh, I have two older guys who are like brothers I wish I never had because they pick on me way too much. Like I'm the youngest. (laughs) So, you know, it's a good family thing. You know what I mean? That's what he was trying to, you know, say, hey, as bouncers, we have each other's backs. Like at work, we have each other's backs. Like on the football field, everyone's got each other's backs. Uh, in hockey, everyone has each other's backs. You know what I mean. So, even in marriage, everyone's got their each other's backs. You know what I mean. So it is that family type. Like you got my back, I got your back. We're brothers. We're doing this together. You know, I'm so glad you mentioned that um, because the uh, the the scene where the barn was burning mm-hmm. and Swayze ran in to um, to go to help Red. Yeah, yeah. Like you know what. Um, yeah, Dalton is like, he shows up in the small town of Jasper and he's the new guy. But everybody that he met became instant mm-hmm. family, either family or, or foe, <laughs> and, and that's <laughs> depending on what side you're on. When he came in, he got rid of clearly what were the bad apples, clearly the ones who were the... The negative impact on the bar and I mean like anyone who works in a, in a workplace and there's that one person who just kind of you know spoils spoils the brew if you will kind of thing um the minute that bad ingredient is taken out everything kind of feels much better much tighter much closer and much more cohesive um she very much to me is the the heart of the staff of the double deuce you know yeah sure Dalton's the cooler but Carrie's almost Carrie Ann is almost the embodiment of what that team becomes, and she's that way right away. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. she's Especially- exposed to his butt. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's she. She doesn't get to be put up against the brick wall, so she, you know, it's the consolation prize she gets to see his butt. Um, <laughs> speaking of the person who brought them all together, uh, Kevin Teague, who plays Tillman, uh, the owner of the bar. There was something about him, and I found it fascinating because when we first meet him, he feels a little smarmy, and even throughout the movie, there's there's this, you're not quite certain whether this is a good guy or not. In the end, yeah, he is, but, you know, it, it was almost a bit of a head fake. So, Carrie, to you, uh, Tillman, the owner of the bar, how did he come across to you? It's like, even when he comes in, it's, you know, says, you know, I, I want the best. I want you, you know, whatever your cost kind of thing. Like, like, did it feel like he was going to be the guy that turns on him at first? Well, again, it, it's interesting. Um, in, in a small town, um, a very 
um, small town bar. Like I, I, I tend to wonder where the money was coming from in order to pay mm. Dalton and, you know, make it such an attractive offer. And, and even the scene where I think it was after a few nights at the bar or a few weeks or however the timeline, but where there's like the lineup outside the bar mm-hmm. and his intention, um, you know, actually came to fruition where it made the place, you know, the place to be. Also fastest reno in history, right? by the way. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, I mean, again, it kind of left me wondering where the money mm-hmm. was coming from in the first place. And, and Gomez, when you think about it, we, we don't really meet Brad Wesley till about half an hour in, it feels like. So for a while, it's almost like, you know, who's the villain in this? Is is Tillman the villain? Is the bar the villain? Is the community the villain? And then we all of a sudden realize, oh, well, it's 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 this guy. It's Brad Wesley. Um, but when we first meet him, like, did he feel like the villain to you or the eventual villain? No, not with a not as, not uh, Kevin Teague as Tillman. No, I, I felt like he was a genuine bar owner who was trying to rebuild a brand that he did. Mm-hmm. And you know, he does say he came into a little bit of money. You know, maybe he was married and his wife died. For all we know, maybe mm-hmm. he won the lottery. Maybe he won a scratch off, and he came through a couple million dollars. Maybe you never know. Did he borrow the money from Brad Wesley? I was about to say, like, you know, where did the money come? And that would be really interesting because if he got the money from Brad Wesley, um, and then turns it around, gets someone to be the cooler of the bar, and then all of a sudden this guy is messing up what Wesley has put together. That's even more motivation. And I wish, if that was the case, I wish that was kind of a bit more explored. It's just almost. Like you mentioned, like who's bankrolling this? Where's the money coming from? Because Jasper don't look like a small town, and you can only sell so much beer in a small town. Like I, I get it, but I almost want to see the recut. Mm. You know where yeah. that storyline is actually brought to fruition. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. If there's ever the three-hour, you know, roadhouseier cut of this which by the way is probably not roadhouse 2 because yes there is actually a sequel oh, there God. is a sequel and no In one 2006 from, is there and no one from the yes. first movie is involved that's just just the name straight to dvd which is probably like a spec script and then they slapped roadhouse 2 you know electric roadhouse on it kind of thing <laughs> yeah. um yeah here's an interesting question though because when it comes to Canadian musicians, there's always been this kind of thing about for a Canadian band to say they really made it big, they have to make it in the States. For the Jeff Healy band, that this movie was kind of that moment. So Gomez, you know, being down in Jersey, like, were you aware of the Jeff Healy band before this movie came out? No, I was not. Um, I got to admit, I was very interested and intrigued by the Jeff Healy band when I first saw this movie because I was like, wow. Because I never knew he was a legit blind guitarist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as um, growing up, as I got older, I'm like, wow, he is really blind. And I thought it was just because of the movie. You know what I mean? You know, Al Pacino played a blind man in A Scent of a Woman. Right. You know what I mean? And you couldn't tell. Well, he was legitimately blind. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> and he had, and it was a rare eye disease, unfortunately, as a kid. 
um, that he got with that problem. You know what I mean? So uh, kudos to him, you know, and he had a phenomenal voice too. I wish I, you know, growing up, I wish I heard more of the band, you know what I mean? Until I saw the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think, see, like me, uh, uh, I'll say it, I like Nickelback. (laughs) It's okay to like Nickelback. It, it, I like it, it is okay. Like, they are arguably the Bon Jovi of this decade when you think about it, right? They are. Yeah, because when they when they came out, like they write catchy songs, they get played on the radio a lot. People hate them because they write catchy songs, they get played on the radio a lot. And now they kind of yep. gotten to the point where they've been around long enough that people are like, Well, they're not going away, so we guess we have to accept them. Like that's exactly pre- that is pretty much But like, I I actually do like them though. Yeah. They are a really good band, and I wish, uh, you know, I, I wish I got to hear more of the Jeff, uh, the, you know, the Jeff Haley music more. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I hear it once in a blue moon when I'm on Spotify. I'll pop it on. I mean, we were talked about this when we were on Playlist Wars. Mm-hmm. You know, we touched on this a few minutes. Like, who would have thought? You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's one of those things. It's a. It, they had some good music. They had a couple of good covers too. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, it was it was a heck of a soundtrack when you think about the songs that they put on. But Carrie, going into this, you knew who the Jeff Healy band was. This is a big thing for you. Huge. I have to say that I was privileged enough to grow up listening to Jeff Healy. Um, um, if I could make one recommendation of a CD, you have to listen front to back. It is all killer. Um, is um, See the Light. See the Light by Jeff Healy. Amazing CD. I, I, again, I grew up listening to him. I was so fortunate to have seen him uh, play live at the NAC <laughs> um, in Ottawa. And, um, and actually, I think for me, it, it was almost kind of like really, um, I don't know. It was like, you know, those moments in life that, you're so, it just, it happens. It's a moment. Um, but looking back, um, you're just like so grateful for that moment and that Jeff Healy had a, a bar in Toronto. Did and, he really? Um, oh yeah. Yeah. And, and I went there a few times. Um, one night he was there and uh, because he, he wouldn't always play. Um, he would have other bands play on, on the stage. But he was there one night and played Roadhouse in his bar in Toronto. And that just, that moment blew my mind. And even as I sit here and talk about it, I'm getting chilly bumps for that, to have that memory. Um, So seeing him in this movie um, is just, it's so cool. Like it's one of those... um, I, it, it probably means more to me than it should. And I think maybe that's why I'm so drawn to this movie and why I liked it. I mean, aside from, you know, the constant fighting and action scenes and... <laughs> and Patrick Swayze's butt. And, and Patrick, Patrick Swayze's butt. Um, yeah, but for me, it wasn't the butt. It was it was that beautiful um, training practice scene of the, the martial art mm-hmm. um, that he was practicing. But the nice thing too is that it's it's not like when Allison Chains was in singles or when Slipknot was in Rollerball and yes, Slipknot was in Rollerball. It's not like one of those things where it's just like band performs on stage and hey, they're there. 
Jeff Healy himself was a, an integral part of of the storyline. He mm-hmm. was almost like the if if anyone was the, the 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 bundle of exposition, it's him because he's got his ear to the ground on everything that's going on. He knows, you know, what's going on. He knows why Brad Wesley is so pissed off at him, and he knows why because it's the dog. Like and the fact that him and Dalton were friends because obviously bouncers and bartenders are going to know each other kind of thing. It's just one of those things where, you know, he, he was so much more than just guy on stage playing guitar. Mm-hmm. He was a pivotal part of the story. And I think that's, that's key for, for him. It's again, it's not just band on scene. He was a part of the storyline. Absolutely. And again, and, and I love too, that it wasn't just Jeff Healy as a character playing Jeff Healy it was his entire band. Mm-hmm. Um, his guitarist, of which I'm so sorry. I or the bassist, you mean? Bassist. The oh, bassist. Your, your husband is a bassist. You got to know the difference between four and six strings. <laughs> <laughs> Us bassists can't handle more than four. We Oy. can't get past that. Five, what's that? <laughs> but the, the fact that, you know, he, um, he was brought into the scene too. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, and 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 made a, a character. It was it was so cool. I do have to point out, and this is going to blow your mind a little bit because I know your movie taste, Carrie. Um, the first band at the bar that Dalton worked at before he came to the Double Deuce uh, was a band called Cruzados, and they broke up after this film. The singer from that band, uh, Tito Lariva, uh, La and again, I hope I pronounced his name right, formed a group called Tito and Tarantula. That band was seen as the band that played the Titty Twister in From Dusk Till Dawn. Mm-hmm. So they literally went from Roadhouse to From Dusk Till Dawn. Yeah. So it's just like one of the things where you sit there and go, okay, movie house band. I like it. I'm all for it. Love that. <laughs> and, you know, and, and he was so good too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And don't forget, he was in Desperado too as the- oh, that's right. Uh, in Cheech Marin's- uh, bartending friend with the money (laughs) (laughs) literally just show up in movie sets play guitar all good so you know kind of like robert rodriguez show up on movie sets play guitar direct a few films it's all good yeah can't go wrong there were a bunch of different roles smaller roles too i mean i know keith david played uh the bartender at the double deuce we didn't really get to see him until like the, the last like third of the film kind of thing, which is a horrible misuse of a perfectly good Keith David. Um, Seeing Terry Funk on screen, (laughs) like wrestling fans with a big smile on their face. Like here's Terry Funk, probably the, like seeming like like the perfect uncle of every single wrestler. Um, Gomez, do you, seeing Terry Funk in this film, is this one of the more enjoyable wrestlers in a movie role kind of performances for you? Yeah, it was, besides Hulk Hogan and uh, No Holds Barred, but oh. I, I thought he... he <laughs> <laughs> you went there, didn't you? I, yes, I did. What, nothing, hey, if, nothing for Rowdy Roddy Piper and They Live? Well, you know what? That was actually... That's a hidden good movie. That, that is a phenomenal movie. That is a phenomenal movie. Um, you know, I thought he played that character so well. And one of my favorite lines is when um, Dalton's like, you're out of here. You just don't have the right, you don't have the temperament, the right temperament for the job. And one of my friends like, what am I supposed to do? And Dalton just looks at him. There's always Barber College. 
<laughs> because he had the curly hair, you know what I mean? Oh, that, so for, <laughs> that do. That do. That do. But by the way, so, we, we, we can't just we can't rip on Rowdy Roddy Piper for, for They Live because that is a good film. However, one day we are going to have to talk about Hell Comes to Frogtown, also starring Rowdy Roddy Piper. I guarantee you that film qualifies. I think it does. I, I think, think it so. does. <laughs> <laughs> um, but and I want to get to the storyline a little bit here because one of the henchmen kind of almost ruined the end of the film for me. And I say that because, you know, up until, you know, like the, the whole throat rip out scene, we have this very slow burn of a, of a film. Not, not necessarily, I'm not saying the movie's slow, but it's a slow burn on the tension. It's a slow burn on the stakes. And then all of a sudden it feels like the last 10 minutes of an episode of the A team where like Dalton goes to storm the castle kind of thing. But I have to bring up, John William Young, who played Tinker. Tinker <laughs> is the guy who went full curly from the Three Stooges before getting crushed by a bear, a taxidermy bear, no less. Like, literally, you see the thing being tipped, and all of a sudden it goes, <laughs> like, you went full Three Stooges. Like, and that's, yes, did. And that's the part of the thing that, that kind of, almost makes me upset at the end of this film because it did it devolved you had a, a a very smart piece like a very smart film and people are sitting there going you roadhouse is smart yes there actually is a lot of smart things as far as character development goes as far as story development goes and then it devolves into like the the the, the a team's got to finish the job so they can move on to the next week um Let's talk about that whole end scene, Gomez. You know, when Dalton goes full on revenge plot kind of thing, you know, full on rampage, did was that was that good for you or, or was that was that almost like a left <laughs> turn? No, I thought that was hilarious, that scene with Tinker. <laughs> He's shooting a polar bear who's dead, a taxidermy polar bear, as Dalton pushes it on Tinker. Yeah. And and then he takes care of Brad Wesley and then um, uh, Tillman, Red, and I forgot the guy who owns the... The, uh, the, the car Stratemeyer, yeah. Stratemeyer, Stratemeyer, came out. And uh, so did uh, uh, Emmett, too. Yeah. So all four of these guys come out with their shotguns and, you know, kill off our wonderful, evil... Biolo- biological man. <laughs> and, and, but the funny thing is, they knew what to do with those guns once they killed them, which oh, t- yeah, they, which which tells me one thing and one thing only. They've done this before. <laughs> and like, the best part is when the cops come in here, what happened here? I didn't you know, see anything. <laughs> I didn't see it. I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything. I didn't, you know, whatever the, the three things are. Didn't hear anything. Didn't see anything. Not talk about anything. Yeah. There was, the funny the, thing. There was a rich the, man turned to Swiss cheese. Yes. Through a and coffee best, table. <laughs> yes. Bullet holes of Swiss cheese. And then when the cop goes, what happened here? Polar bear fell on me, and just seeing those three guys trying to hold their laughter—that that was the eighteen feel of it for me. Like it, it's, it's almost it, like, yeah, it was the perfect spinoff. You know what I mean? Just was that's the best way to end a good eighties kick-ass movie. 
I thought it was great. I thought it ended so well. Every time I see that scene, I, I can't stop laughing. I'm still <laughs> laughing right now. <laughs> Polar bear fell on me. Oh, but it, it, and it's unfortunate, too, because you did have some smart character building, especially with Dalton. You know, the fact that when he takes the job to go to the double deuce, he just, you know, tosses his beater car to uh, to the homeless guy who lives outside, I guess, his warehouse, but then takes his BMW, drives out to Jasper, buys another beater. Like, there's a methodology to the way Dalton works. And you you see a very, you know, a very calculated approach. And again, in comparison to Garrett, who just comes in, kicks ass, and, and, and deals with it, right? Dalton is very methodical. Dalton is very precise and has a way and a pattern. And it works for him right until it doesn't obviously but all that really good character building goes to waste when tinker goes full curly carrie we kind of joked about it earlier you fall asleep during the big action points (laughs) of this film but you stayed awake for this film right so was did that kind of drift you off to almost asleep near the end kind of thing or is this one of the things where it's like no no this this is the way this has to go no i was waiting i was waiting for the end scene um, because again, the, <laughs> the polar bear that that just makes it makes the movie for me. I have to. Admit. <laughs> the polar bear fell on me. Oh. Um, but with that, <laughs> what I what I wanted to draw attention to is where the hell were the cops during you know all yeah. the bad stuff that's happening? The the place is getting like blown up and and lit on fire. Um, now they show up, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, so, and again, um, I had mentioned earlier, I really think that was kind of the the martial law mm-hmm. um, that I, I loved about it. And you, you almost needed Dalton, the, like walk, walking down the street, you know, with some Frank Stallone song playing as he, as he walks away from everything. Like that's... It was taking that, care of it, you yeah. know, taking care of business. But yeah. again, it kind of fell into that whole... 80s trope of movies where the lone wolf comes in uh creates his own brand of justice and then walks away when the bad guy is dead like and maybe that's why or part of why this this film didn't do so well at the box office is that this came out 1989 right we're past the 80s you know we're walking away from the action movie tna filled for no Apparent reason whatsoever, you know, a team feeling <laughs> bear fell on me, kind of like it. It does. It it almost feels like it's the, you know, the swan song of the '80s action film, especially when you consider that like the next big film that, that Patrick Swayze did after this was Ghost. Now, part of that is because he had a, a knee injury. He turned down apparently Predator Two and Tango and Cash to go do Ghost. Career-wise, probably a wise choice because, you know, I mean, Predator 2 was a a stinking pile. I personally love Tango and Cash. It's it's one of those. Tango and Cash. Right? It's it's that guilty pleasure kind of film. Like, like the fact. Yeah. But, you know, I know Tango and Cash will probably be another one of those films that we talk about on this show because I'm sure it is. It is poorly rated as well. But, you know, it, it does. It felt like the story was smarter at the beginning and then devolved into the 80s tropes near the end. Mm, but I love that it happened. I love whether it was, you know, just lucky timing 
I love that they did produce this movie before movies started to change. And we all kind of, I don't know, like, like, again, some of the scenes, the scenes in the bar, um, Mm -hmm. the, the gratuitous sex scenes, like it, it, well, scene, it was one scene, but, but it was enough to be like, wow, that would not fly these days. And, and, you know, how, how is it that, um, again, uh, you know, uh, Gomez, uh, you and I grew up watching this movie and yet I sit here as a parent today and go, Ooh, I would not watch this with my kids. Like, (laughs) I don't know. Like, how is it that we have changed how we watch movies? I think I don't know. I might I might watch it with my son when he gets a little older. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but but a little older kind of thing. I mean, like if this yeah. movie gets made today, it goes straight to Tubi. You have to think. There wasn't a whole lot of swearing, so maybe we can get our kids on board watching it. I just I don't know. They would say there's a whole lot of catch up. Yeah, if you want to, you know, accelerate <laughs> puberty. <laughs> Nope. Nope, no. Um, but we are not the only ones who have spoken about this film. Twitter has spoken. The Shifty Bench podcast chimed in with one of my favorites from the late 70s. It's ridiculous and the bad guy isn't intimidating, but Swayze and Elliot uh, are cool as f- I'm direct quoting here. That throat rip death has struck me. It's not brilliant or anything, but I enjoyed. He does go on to correct himself that it is in the 80s kind of thing. Um, and it is. like, Yeah, Swayze. Elliot, they they are they're cool in this. Like, you know, and and Gobi, as you said, you you know, you watched this and you eventually became a bouncer. Like, you know, how influential is Dalton to people who are watching this movie at this time? Now it's a different era. You well, know what well I mean? yeah, now <clears throat> yes, but no, but we're talking like you know that late eighties, early nineties. I think he would be very influential. I think. Mm-hmm. I think uh, you know he's. He's, you know, he's the cooler. He's the cool guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he, you know, his rules and be nice is the way to go. Because if you're not nice, you're going to get a world of hurting. So I thought it was a great, great. He was just perfect for this role. I love him <laughs> for this. I mean, again, Dirty Dancing was up there, but seeing him in this movie as an action, um, it was just too, too good. Lee Milne chimed in with, I love this movie. As a teen, it was the fights and boobs that kept me coming back. But now it's simply Swayze. He's a cool dude. Um, and th- there's, there's again, we have to admit that this is the 80s. TNA is going to draw some of the audiences in because the movies of that time had TNA. And, you know, you can go back and watch a lot of those 80s movies and go, yeah, this ain't getting made today. It's just not like, like Carrie, Carrie, you and I, you know, sat down at one point and like while we were waiting before a gig happened and the hotel was showing um, Police Academy. The jokes in Police Academy, you could not write today and get away with it. You really could not. But it's one of those things where, you know, do you find like what is it that keeps bringing you back to this movie? Yeah, I, I Dalton and Garrett. Like, again, I just, I loved their characters. They made this movie, they made it so cool and so watchable. And, you know, kind of like, as 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 much as it's a movie, they made 
you know, the role of the bouncer, the, the very um, methodical, um, the rules, right? Following the rules. Um, they made that believable that, you know, that could actually happen. And a small town bar could actually um, be more welcoming or more of a place to be, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, aside from all of the, the other bad stuff that happens in Jasper, um, that part of it, at least the first half of the movie, is quite believable. And I think it's because of the characters. Sean Fest has also chimed in. Going as you know, Sean. Oh, my buddy. Sean. Sean's my buddy. <laughs> he says, I love that movie. It has one of the greatest and most uncomfortable lines in film with the greatest going to showdown in Little Tokyo. The line of dialogue is, I used to f*** guys like you in prison. Now, <laughs> now, I need to, as I was doing my research, I read up on something and I howled when I read this. So the the guy who plays that character, um, Jimmy Marshall Teague, okay, Yes. Took his mother to the premiere of Roadhouse. <laughs> and apparently, according to him in an interview, um, when that when he said that line of dialogue, she enthusiastically jumped up in the theater and screamed out, That's my boy! Like coolest mom ever like if, if, <laughs> if you're going to watch your son in a film go i used to guys like you in prison and go that's my boy oh crap what did he say um, like, <laughs> like you know that that line's in there a mother's pride oh that's, yeah that's, oh my God. that that has to be i love that story right um Tim McCarthy from from, right <laughs> from the 20 Tim Mints podcast. Uh his initial response was, Who the f- said this movie was bad? Uh he would then go on to list the great characters and names, the awesome wardrobes for the time. If we had to go with for the time, because this is very much an 80s right. wardrobe. Throat rip Swayze, Sam Elliott being a smoke show, the randomness of the storyline, and the guy who tricked the husband into touching his wife's boobs. And more Swayze. Like, did he ever pay the 20 bucks? No, 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 no. no. Which, admittedly, uh, this kind of plays up to something that that, that you mentioned, Carrie, is that like everyone in Jasper seems like a complete and utter dolt, and the smartest people are the ones working the bar. Like, it's just one of those things where it's a little random, but hey, that that, that scene was funny. But it, it does feel. More like a line you would expect in Revenge of the Nerds than you would in Roadhouse. $20 a kiss. Right? Oh, no. $10 a kiss. $10 a kiss. Um, but it's one of those things. And, and Carrie, I'm going to ask you first. Is that, did the humor feel out of place in this? Um, I, I, think, I think it was important because if there were no laughable lines of dialogue then I don't know it would it would just be a fight scene with some TNA Mm -hmm. um I think it was it was important and it it added it definitely added something Mm -hmm. Gomez how about you the 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 humor of of some of the characters in this uh a good addition or detracting from the feel of the film no it was a good addition you needed that 
you had to have it because, you know, it, it, again, there was a lot of fight scenes in this movie, sort of throwing a little humor here and there. You know, um, one of my favorites is when Dalton's explaining the rules. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, one of, you know, like I, I was about to say, never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. Two, take it outside. Never start anything unless inside unless it's absolutely necessary. And three, be nice. What being called a uh, what was he say? I hate to say wait, the word. What if someone calls my mom a whore? I don't know. Is she? <laughs> is she or? Well, what if I was called a? <laughs> are you? <laughs> it's it's two words to make something up and to piss you off. Yeah. It, he he just was calm and collective. So when you get that humor side of it, that was the that those are the punchlines you'll remember in the movie. Mm-hmm. I almost wonder, and if I you know if I may moot an idea with the two of you here, um, because you have these quips from the, the patrons, right? Swayze plays it straight and cool, and I think that works. But is it a different film? If someone like a Kurt Russell is in the Dalton role, and I say yes. Dal- I, I say Kurt Russell because a loved him in Tango and Cash, uh, the perfect guy for that role. Like I don't think you could put, which is funny because if if Swayze was being talked about making Tango and Cash, uh, if you swap Kurt Russell into Roadhouse and Patrick Swayze into Tango and Cash, which film is made better? Which film is made worse? I'll be honest with you, Roadhouse would have been made worse. I could see that. I could see. I mean, right. I, I mean, Kurt Russell. Love Kurt Russell. Everything's better with Kurt Russell. But I think you're right. I think it just it no, just I, doesn't flow. I I definitely think Swayze brought the charm, mm-hmm. the Southern charm, and and that again, uh, physically wise, um, you know, he was perfect for the fighting scenes. Um, but I think his again he it's that charm that um that made the movie and that made made the character for sure of Dalton mm-hmm. um but I mean when you think about Swayze's range right um having been in in dirty dancing and then again the the physicality mm-hmm. of Roadhouse and then um ghost almost yeah I was I was gonna go like Almost his, um, I don't know his his dramatic side for Ghost. And let's not let's not forget his role as Chippendale dancer beside Chris Farley on Saturday Night Live. Yes, well that that's iconic, <laughs> right? Yeah. And also his his other good movie, Black Dog, as a truck driver. Yes, yes. Like I see I see Dalton in that movie, and and there are others out there. Yeah, like like he is a very accomplished actor, and he is. yeah. And I think Roadhouse is made better because of him, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and finally, the Bricked Pit podcast chimed in, chimed in with, I think this was a deep satire of action movies. Taken like that, it's brilliant. And th- that's fascinating because I don't, I mean, I don't think it was made to be a satire, but, and, and Gomez, we're going to go to you on this one here. Looking at this movie in hindsight, can you look at Roadhouse as a satire of action movies and appreciate it more? Oh, that's a good question. Um, probably. I mean, it still lives up to the action. I mean, for people who have not seen it yet, I see it. You know what I mean? 
guys who've seen it, like me and Carrie, seen it since growing up, since 89, 90. You know what I mean? It's just one of those movies that it doesn't change and you can't get sick of it. Mm-hmm. Carrie, how about you? Like, if you're to, if we were to watch this movie again tonight, um, but in Would the mindset, <laughs> yeah, wow. Uh, but in the mindset that this is a satire of action films, does that change your perspective on this? Like, is 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 that in hindsight a, a way to look at this? There have been so many points from tonight's conversation that made me kind of look at this movie differently. And as I sit here and replay certain scenes, I'm like, huh. And to consider it a satire is very interesting. Um, It's almost like now I really want to watch it again tonight if it Mm -hmm. weren't so late. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, And to look at it from that perspective, I think... That would certainly, um, you know, make the comedic ending Mm -hmm. uh, a little bit more, I don't know, make it fit more. And that's the thing. More explainable. If the one thing that really stood out for me is Tinker going full curly at the end. Um, and then like the, the whole, the, the last 10, 15 minutes of the film feeling like an episode of the A-Team. You get into that mindset, and, and by the way, thank you for the Brick Pit podcast and everyone who chimed in on Twitter with your comments. Um, but yeah, if you go back and watch it thinking that it's a satire of action films, I think it it almost justifies that last 15 minutes of the film and, and allows it to be as uh, trope-esque as it is. You know what? Now that I think of... Um the fight scene where um, Garrett was introduced, mm-hmm. where he arrives in Jasper, it kind of makes sense. It makes it, again, it puts it in that in that perspective that you're not taking it too seriously. And it, it almost makes the, um, you know, the bad guys kind of, again, a little bit more, justified in their nature because Mm -hmm. they were so um so quick to to throw a punch like again that was it was it was almost kind of like okay here we go again you know like (laughs) on to on to the next fight scene because we have to it's in it's in the script you know it was there was no lead up it was just now we're on to the next fight scene roadhouse as meta i love it (laughs) but it comes to that point of the show and gomez i'm gonna start with you who is your MVP of Roadhouse? My MVP, I know everyone would say Dalton, but it was Wade Garrett. Okay. He's got great one-liners in this movie. One of the uh, light, uh, one of my favorite one-liners in his, this place has a sign hanging over the urinal that says, don't eat the big white mint. Ah. <laughs> uh. And the way he fights, the way he, before he gets killed, the way he takes over, tries to, you know, dance with a doc right away. You know, he's established himself as an old school Texan. Mm-hmm. I love it. He deserves the MVP. I would have said Tinker because he's just got that one great line. <laughs> <over there for Lamy. laughs> okay. But no, in reality, I would go Way Garrett. All right, Carrie, who's your MVP? I agree. One thousand percent. Um, I admit I, it might have got a little dusty uh, when he was found on the bar. And, uh, yeah, 
Um, he, he was, he was perfect. Um, I really enjoy Sam Elliott as an actor. Um, really, you know, every time I see him on screen, I'm like, oh, he's just so great (laughs) because he can deliver a line and it's just so cool. Like, yeah, he, he could do no wrong. He was absolutely perfect. So thanks to Garrett. I am going to pretend for a moment that I am on Playlist Wars. Gomez, <laughs> hand me the axe. I am about to kill the trifecta. Oh, oh my God, the trifecta killer. <laughs> because my MVP is one Mr. Jeff Healy. There is something about his performance in this. And maybe it's because I'm a musician and I play in bars and, you know, I I kind of associate a bit more with him. But there was just something so earnest and pure about his performance in this. It's just like one of those things where, you know, here's this guitarist from Canada, from Toronto making it big in a Patrick Swayze film. And that, and as a Canadian, that kind of makes you smile to begin with. But the fact that he's not just there as the guitarist, he's there, you know, as part of the storyline, he's Patrick Swayze's friend. Like he's, he is ever the optimist in this, even though he's also like the, <laughs> I hate to say it, the harbinger of doom, but because he does know kind of the, the backstory of kind of what everything's going on. He's the warning to Dalton. He's the one who's, you know, He's almost the anchor point for Dalton and knows, you know, helps him know he's in a good place because there's a bit of familiarity there. Um, I, I did consider Patrick Swayze and I did consider uh, the actress who played uh, Carrie Ann in this. But no, for me, as I kill the trifecta, uh, it has to be Jeff Healy for me as a Canadian musician. You know, the hat tip to the late Jeff Healy. Gomez, thank you so much for coming back on the show, playing in our playground. Where can we hear Playlist Wars? So Playlist Wars, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, everywhere. We're also check us out on our website, uh, playlistwarspodcast.com, where we have our show's listings. You can vote to who got it right. Uh, you can check us out on patreon.com slash playlistwars, where you can pay to get on the show or get a shout out. Um, you can find us on Twitter on Playlist Wars. Uh, Brian Colburn, you can find him at Brian Colburn on Twitter and myself on Twitter at a Gomez 70 or I'm sorry, at Gomez 79. Um, you could also find us on Instagram on Playlist Wars podcast. We're pretty much all over the place right now. <laughs> okay. If you start doing TikTok dances though, uh, sign me up. I got to watch. Um, <laughs> Brian, Brian does the TikToks. I just do the, the Twitter announcements. <laughs> I, I do have to say to our listeners, uh, if you haven't had a chance to go, to go listen to Playlist Wars, absolutely go. Uh, Gomez and Brian are, you know, the absolute goods uh, when it comes to not just podcasts, but just being in the podcast community. Gomez, thank you so much for joining in. Carrie, Lovely, as always. You never go wrong. And to our listeners, thank you for listening in. Now, if you think there is a movie that is unfairly maligned or is so bad that there's no way in hell that we can find anything good to say about it, hit us up on Twitter at NotThatBadCast. Let us know. We'll watch it. We will dissect it. And we will find the A grades in these B movies. Until next time, I'm Jay. She's Carrie. Gomez, thank you so much again. We will catch you next time on It's Not That Bad. Take care.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.